We're making our way through the book of Acts, and I told you last week that I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to cover bigger chunks as we get into these latter chapters. So in that spirit, we're going to look at five verses this morning. All right. We'll be done with Acts in about eight years. All right. We're in chapter 18. We're actually going to skip a few verses, though, if, if that's all right with you. In Acts chapter 18, we talk about seven marks of maturity around here. Seven things that if they were true of us in increasing measure, we'd be on the right track. Seven marks, if you will, that form a working definition of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Seven things that I would love to be true of me, if not true of everyone in this room. Seven things that we do not for God's love, but from God's love in the gospel. The first of these is seek God. How wonderful would it be if every one of us who knows Jesus would seek him diligently. Second is to love others. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The third is to pursue holiness. The Apostle Peter said, like like obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all of your behavior. Third, serve the church. That is part of the church family. Every one of us would serve, would jump in to a place of service whether it's in kids' ministry or student ministry or worship ministry or first impressions ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry, wherever it might be, that every one of us here at Redeemer would serve the church. The Apostle Peter said, employ it, meaning your spiritual gifts and abilities, employ it in serving one another. And next is steward your resources that we realize that everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God. We are not owners, we are stewards. And we look to him as to how he would have us steward the time, the talents, and the treasures that he has entrusted to us. Number six, we would share the gospel. That this amazing grace that has come our way through the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us who came to faith in Jesus came to faith because somebody shared the gospel with us. We don't come to faith in Jesus just out of nowhere. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Someone, if you know Romans 10, someone with beautiful feet came and shared the gospel. For me, it was my mama who shared the gospel with me. And those of us who've believed it now have been entrusted with it and, and we've been sent out to share this good news with a lost world. And then finally, number seven is multiply disciples. This is one that we haven't talked much about. Certainly not enough. Maybe in years to come we can give some more attention to it. But it's the one I think 
at least in part, um, this passage of Scripture speaks to this morning. We want to be disciples who make disciples. We're familiar with the Great Commission, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and be disciples. That's not what he said, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It is the Great Commission, and it's given to every one of God's people that we are to be about making disciples. And that has at least two elements to it. It's leading people to first-time faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's sharing the gospel with them and by his grace seeing them come to believe in Jesus Christ. And when they do, they become a disciple. Every one of us who is a Christian is a disciple. But then it goes further than that. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples is bringing someone to faith in Jesus Christ, seeing them be baptized, identifying with Jesus, and then teaching them to observe all that he commanded. Teaching them and encouraging them and equipping them to to think, to feel, to speak, and to act in ways that are honoring to the Lord Jesus. I want to make one thing clear, if I didn't in the last couple of seconds. In the tradition that I grew up in, there seemed to be two classes of Christians. There were converts, if you will, People who, by the grace of God, had come to faith in Jesus Christ and been converted. They were Christians. But they had not yet become disciples until they had gone on to greater things in the Lord. And biblically, I just don't think that distinction is there. Every one of God's children, through faith in Jesus Christ, is a disciple because in coming to faith in Jesus, we come to realize ourselves a sinner, and we come to realize he's the Savior sent from heaven for us. And we, we say we want him, we need him, we trust him. That's what a disciple does. It's someone who looks to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the leadership of their life. And so if you are a Christian, biblically, you are a disciple and as a disciple, every single one of us is called upon to follow Jesus and help others do the same. To be a disciple who makes disciples. Who shares the gospel and hopefully leads people to Jesus and then who intentionally helps other Christians grow in their Christian faith. And so I might ask you as I ask myself, are you intentionally or deliberately helping other Christians grow 
in their relationship with Jesus. Mark Dever, in his great little book on discipleship, defines discipleship as doing deliberate spiritual good that helps others follow Jesus. Doing deliberate spiritual good that helps others follow Jesus. Sometimes you'll hear us around here talk about discipleship is relational and intentional. It's a, it's a relationship with someone else or someone's else, and it's intentional. It's deliberate to help them grow as a follower of Jesus. Are you deliberately helping others to follow Jesus? Are you intentionally helping others to follow Jesus? It's not just for full-time guys. And in fact, I can promise you, there's lots of full-time guys who aren't making disciples. It's for all of God's people. So let's take a look. We're kind of towards the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Real fast, he started off in Antioch and Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidia, Antioch. And then we saw him head further west and north, and the Lord say no, and came to Troas and got the Macedonian call, come over here, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so they planted the church in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. If you were here last week, we looked at Paul in Corinth. And now I'm going to skip a few verses, but we'll read them in verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, that's in Corinth, took leave of the brethren and set out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. And so Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila sail across to Ephesus, and Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. Now Paul himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. He landed at Caesarea, went and greeted the church in Jerusalem, and then went back to Antioch. In verse 23, and having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. I didn't pull this up, but he's going to leave Antioch and go through these churches again, strengthening the disciples. And we'll see next week that he'll come all the way to Ephesus. But before then, something happens here in Ephesus that I want us to see. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This is an interesting fellow, and I've always loved him simply for that phrase, he was mighty in the Scriptures. Alexandria is uh, down here. You can't really see it. It's down here. It's in Egypt. 200 years prior... 250 years prior, it was in Alexandria where 
the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek. And we call that the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so apparently there in Alexandria, there was a great population of Jewish people who were committed to the Word of God. And Apollos seemed to grow up in that milieu and himself become a man mighty in the Scriptures. Now at this time, the Scriptures here are the Old Testament Scriptures. And he was mighty. He was powerful in them. He understood them. And certainly, he probably knew of the great anticipation and promise of the Messiah who was to come. The Deliverer who would come to the nation of Israel. And somewhere along the way, this man came to faith in Jesus. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, and being fervent in spirit, probably the idea is not not fervent in or by the Holy Spirit, but fervent in his spirit, enthusiastic. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. And so here's a brother who was mighty in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures, knowing of the promise of Messiah to come, and somewhere along the way, he had come, apparently, to faith in Jesus. His understanding was accurate. In verse 25, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But while accurate, we might say a bit deficient being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Every disciple needs to be discipled. Every one of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ need to continue to grow in our understanding of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us and what he wants to do in and through us. Here's a wonderful example of a man who knew what he knew and was passionate with what he knew. What is it exactly that he knew being acquainted only with the baptism of John? And in just a minute, we're going to see Priscilla and Aquila explain to him more accurately. He spoke out accurately, but they're going to teach him to become more accurate. We're not exactly sure what he knew and what he didn't know. The best I've read is that, this, that most likely he had heard of and had come to know of Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus died upon the cross for the sins of his people and Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that Salvation was found in him. Paulus had come to know that. He had come to believe that. And he was enthusiastic about it. And he could even teach accurately the things that he knew. But he wasn't all the way where he should have been. And that's true of every single one of us. 
every disciple needs to be discipled. Every one of us who are God's children in the room, we can say with the Apostle Paul, right? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Or I thought of, as I was pondering this this morning, of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. He said this. He's writing to the Romans. He wants to come and see them, and he says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. So Paul wants to go to Rome to strengthen them that they might be established. And then verse 12, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. The Apostle Paul saying, I want to go to help you, but while in helping you, I want to be helped by you. Each of us by the other's faith, encouraging one another. So every disciple needs to be discipled. But then we press on. Every disciple needs to disciple others. Verse 26. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. We, we briefly talked about Priscilla and Aquila last week. You remember, um, if you were here, they were from Pontus. And they had made their way to Rome, probably became Christians while they were in Rome, and then got kicked out of Rome and came to Corinth. And you remember when Paul came down and he came into Corinth last, last week, he met Priscilla and Aquila, and they shared, they were both, they were all tent makers. And Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, Paul, you got a place to stay? And he said, no. And they said, why don't you come stay with us? And so apparently for a year and a half, Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila while the church in Corinth was being established. And wouldn't you have loved to have been there in the evenings? as Priscilla and Aquila and Paul sat down and ate dinner together and drank coffee together and talked about the Lord. And they grew in their faith, having come to faith there in Rome, but now in Corinth with the Apostle Paul, they must have just learned and grown like crazy. And then Paul takes them to Ephesus. Paul leaves them there. Paul comes on back and back, and now... Paulus comes, and he is mighty in the Scriptures, and he is enthusiastic, and he's teaching accurately the things about Jesus that he knows. And then Priscilla and Aquila heard him, took him aside, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They knew a little bit more than he did. They'd been down the road a little bit further in the Lord than he had. They saw tremendous potential and promise in this man. And they said, hey, Apollos, why don't you come to dinner our place tonight? We know their home was, the little bit we read about of Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament, their home was just open all the time. And I like to think they said, hey, come over for dinner tonight. 
And he came over and they began to visit with him and they began to tell him if the guys that I'm reading are correct, not only about the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, apparently he already knew those kinds of things, but they began to fill in his understanding of Jesus' commission to his disciples, his ascension and exaltation to the Father's right hand, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit into the lives of his people. They began to fill in some of the things that he didn't yet know. And they were wonderful about it. They didn't do this in public. They didn't embarrass him. They took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately. On the whole, this is how it's meant to be. Disciples like Priscilla and Aquila. Listen, this is not the Apostle Paul grabbing Apollos and helping him along. This is a husband and a wife, tent makers, discipling Apollos. They are disciples who are deliberately helping another disciple in his understanding, in his Christian life. And this can be and should be happening in all of our lives, especially as parents with the children that God has entrusted to us. You and I, parents, are the primary disciple makers in the lives of our children. Please bring them to Sunday school. Please bring them on Wednesday nights. We want to help and we want to come alongside of you. But parents are the primary disciple makers in their children's lives. What a privilege we have to come alongside them and help them understand the gospel. Help them come to faith in Jesus. Help them understand the scriptures and the life that Jesus calls them into. It can happen as you volunteer to serve in the ministry of this church. Whether it's in a Sunday school class, what an absolute privilege of each and every week or every other week, however it shakes out, for you to say, you know what, I'm going to take, we're going to take that group of kiddos and we're going to know them by name and we're going to pray for them and we're going to show up when it's our turn to, to serve and to teach and we're going to tell them about Jesus. And we're going to high-five them, and we're going to hug their neck, and we're going to have some fun. But what a privilege, week after week, month after month, to be able to help those little kids learn more about Jesus and his love. Maybe see some of them come to faith in Jesus and teaching them more and more about what it means to walk with him. Or maybe it's to serve on Wednesday night with the new ministry of kids team or to serve as a small group leader over in the RSM ministry to have a group of young guys or young gals that you know by name that you are being deliberate with and intentional with to love them and to pray for them and to help them along not only yourself to follow Jesus but to help others do the same it can happen 
man to man over a cup of coffee or woman to woman sharing a meal together. Relational, intentional time to mutually encourage one another to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. So every disciple needs to be discipled. Right now, for myself, I'm, I'm doing a, a, I'm part of a leadership coaching thing where, where another man is building some things into me that I'm so, help, I'm so grateful for. And just this semester, I've been leading a community group. I said to Saul Gonzalez in the group, hey, Saul, would you mind taking over the leadership of our community group? I got, I got a lot going on. And would you mind leading our group? And he is, and y'all, I love going to community group. Number one, because I don't have to lead it. <sighs> but then, tonight, we're getting together as community group. And we're all coming, and Saul's had us thinking over the last couple of weeks, what are the things that rob your affections for Jesus? And what are the things that stir your affection for Jesus? And he said, come up with your list, and we're going to talk about it. And so tonight, I can't wait to hear. It's helping me. Every, every disciple, every single one of us needs to keep growing. We need others in our life who are encouraging us and spurring us on. And every disciple, that's every single one of us in here, needs to be discipling others. And then finally, the goal in discipleship is multiplication. Multiply disciples. Make disciples who make disciples. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Watch what happens here. So verse 26, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now did that happen in one evening or a series of evenings or maybe over a few weeks or months? We're not sure. But in verse 27, when he, Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. What, what are we talking about? Apollos came here, was doing wonderful, but Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, let us help you out a little bit. And Apollos was like, oh, this is awesome. Teach me more. What else? Yeah, oh, this is great. And eventually Apollos said, hey, I want to go over to Achaia. And the church in Ephesus said, that's great. We'll write letters so that the church over here, whether it's Corinth or Athens or both, will receive you with our stamp of approval. The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, look at this, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. We just got a note Luke throws in that reminder they had believed through grace. Every one of us who believed, we believed through grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. 
but Apollos greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So he showed up, the church welcomed him, and he began to teach. And this man who was mighty in the scriptures, who was accurate and now more accurate, greatly helped them. And in verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So both in ministry to the church in verse 27 and in evangelism in verse 28, this brother was something. Paul had discipled Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos. And now Apollos is greatly helping the church in Corinth. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, the church of Corinth. The goal is not just to fill someone's head with more stuff. The goal is to teach and equip and encourage that person to follow Jesus and help others do the same. That's what disciples do. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus' intention for every single one of us when he calls us to himself is to send us out that we might make disciples ourselves. And when Paul was working with Priscilla and Aquila, his every intention was that they would be more equipped to minister to others. And wow, was it awesome with Apollos. And as Priscilla and Aquila worked with Apollos, the goal was that he would then be more fruitful in helping others. Prof. Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary used to teach us and say, make the things you teach transferable. And I don't know if I do any good at that, but the things that you and I learn are meant in some measure to be passed on to others as we're helping them to follow Jesus. And so, what a challenge. What a challenge. And what an incredible story. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Sometime after Apollos went back to Corinth and had his ministry of greatly helping and powerfully refuting, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, he speaks glowingly of Apollos. Now, the Corinthians had gotten a little confused. They were having to deal with some, you know, some were of Paul and others were of Apollos and some were of Cephas and some threw the trump card and said, well, yeah, we're of Jesus. There was divisions within the church, and so part of what Paul was doing in writing 1 Corinthians is calling them to unity. And he says, listen, I planted, Apollos watered, 
but it was God who caused the growth. Paul was so thankful for the ministry of of Apollos who came in behind him. So I might ask, who are you discipling? Or who are you helping to follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good to them? In your mind's eye, anybody? Nobody got where they are, or everybody got where they are by starting where they were. So if you're saying, boy, there's nobody. I can't think of anybody that I'm discipling. I can't think of anybody that I'm deliberately helping to follow Jesus. That's okay. That's okay. But maybe it becomes something you begin to pray about. Some of you maybe go, boy, Mitch, I've only been a Christian for about a month. Okay, let you and me talk. But some of you, you've been, you've been Christians for years. And you know enough, and you've had enough experience with Jesus through the good and the bad, through the right decisions you've made, and through the terrible decisions you've made. Those can sometimes be the best things to share as you're discipling someone else, as you're helping someone else. So maybe begin to pray, God, how would you want me to begin to intentionally, deliberately help somebody else follow Jesus? I think that would be a wonderful prayer. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. Might Redeemer Community be a place where your disciples are multiplying disciples? Where every one of your people are jumping in to joyfully follow you and help others do the same. Maybe it's formally in a Sunday school class with some kiddos, or maybe formally, formally with a community group that they're leading and encouraging. Or maybe it's a bit more informal, but still intentional and deliberate over a cup of coffee week after week, encouraging, equipping, helping. Lord, may we be a place that um, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine, as Paul would say, where we are mutually encouraging one another and building each other up and discipling each other, doing spiritual good to one another that we might be more healthy and more strong and that you might through us bear fruit that we just can't imagine. Men and women, boys and girls coming to faith in Jesus for the very first time, getting connected to the local church here where they can be loved and encouraged and discipled in such a way that then they could pass on what they've learned just over and over and over again. A a bubbling fountain 
of truth and life that comes from the gospel of God. And we will pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.